0: it's talking twins and more with Nix and naomi thanks to
1: twinfo.com.au and doublebub.com.au it's talking twins and more a multiple birth podcast, with myself and the wonderful naomi dawlin my co-host and founder of twinfo.com.au hello Nomes. how are you going hello nikki how are you another week so I'm, excited i'm good i'm back for another week and things are just getting chaotic because it's going to the end of the year
2: I know. I can't believe that. Well, it's nearly, yeah, nearly the end of the year. It's unbelievable.
1: And with that, we uh, tend to eat more. Well, I know I do anyway.
2: (laughs) You're not the only one, I have to say. Coming up to the festive season, there's all sorts of opportunities, isn't there?
1: There is indeed. And that's what we're going to be talking about today and getting your kids to eat. I know well you know and all our listeners know how much of a struggle it's been for me over the last past few years so I'm excited to meet and chat to this week's guest.
2: Absolutely so we're going to be having a chat to Kat. Kat's a twin mum and also a nutritionist and she has Woods Nutrition. So Kat lovely to have you join us today. Hi Naomi, hi Nikki, thanks for having me.
1: Thanks for joining us, Kat. First of all, we love to hear people's pregnancy and, and birth journeys with your twins. So tell us a bit about your family, your twins, and your story.
0: Yeah, sure. Um, So I have four-year-old twins. Um, so uh, girls, fraternal girls. Um, my... I have a lot of twins in my family, so um, I remember before um, my husband and I started trying, I, I said to him, well, oh, we might have twins one day." And he kind of laughed and said, oh, "Yeah, I don't, I don't think so." Um, but um, yeah, I noticed when I fell pregnant um, that I was like showing far more quickly than what they say you're supposed to. So I sort of was saying from pretty early on, "I think it's twins." I think it's twins. Um, so I suppose it wasn't like it was a shock, but it wasn't. I was kind of like I kind of had a feeling that. That they were going to be twins so yeah it's one of those things that um yeah you you you're, you're still kind of like oh you know it's kind of a slap in the face like wow this is really gonna happen and I'm gonna have twins it's um yeah kind of a crazy feeling so I think um I didn't realize like how uh, difficult a twin pregnancy could be because they were my first um so I had quite a difficult pregnancy the first three months were pretty, um normal um but then i noticed there was um, a lot of like heaviness and um, when i saw the doctor she at 24 weeks um, the obstetrician she said to me that um i had a short cervix so i had a five millimeter cervix so at 24 weeks i was put on bed rest and i spent the next three months lying down on my couch <laughs> not moving really um and she did say modified bed rest but um I was quite adamant that I was going to do everything I needed to do to make sure they stayed in there as long as possible. And so we ended up getting to 37 weeks. Wow, so that's really was very lucky.
2: encouraging though. Yeah. Because like, it yeah. happens to so many families and to hear that you made it through to 37 weeks is just so encouraging. Yeah. Well, she
0: told me at 24 weeks, I remember I was in tears, she said to me, um, your twins will be born in the next week and you will have a you know 60 chance of them not making it given they were so small so I was devastated um and you know I was lucky because I had, to, I had really good care I was in the, to see the doctor every week every two weeks um and I was on you know the um, progesterone um but they every week they were surprised to see me come in they couldn't believe I was still pregnant um so yeah I think um you know, if you have a short cervix, you know, it doesn't mean that it's going to always end up, you know, the premature baby that it can happen, or premature babies, it can get, you know, you can get to, you know, wow. further along. So yeah, I was pretty yeah, lucky. I was,
2: I was the same. I was at 21 weeks and my cervix oh. when they told me that um I was in dire dire straits for a little while there. Um, yeah. And I managed to make it to 34 weeks. Um, but, yeah, it, at that moment when you hear that because at 21 weeks there was nothing they could do. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I fully appreciate what you went through there because it's, it's pretty scary. But thankfully um, it turned out well for me and you, so that's very encouraging for our listeners. Yes. So did yes.
1: your two have any NICU or special care time?
0: um no so 37 weeks um well yeah it's considered full term um and they were just on um so I think they were if they were any like 10 percent smaller than we would have been in NICU um we were in hospital for nine days afterwards so um you know their weight gain was slow um but yeah I was lucky we didn't have to be in NICU at all we went home day 10.
2: So they were so in so your lucky. room with you that whole time? Yeah yeah. Oh, fantastic. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, my husband
0: was there with me as well, so, you know, he had a bed in there and um, we got to try and figure out what we were doing so
2: <laughs> ourselves.
0: Yeah, so I was very lucky.
2: Oh, that is yeah, so. I, mean, I don't think I've heard too many stories and I've, I've published loads of birth stories on um, Twinfo where someone has stayed in with their babies for so long.
0: Yeah, I had I had some health issues Um, I think the thing is to think about like I was very physically active prior to pregnancy you know in my mind at the time you know when I felt pregnant I was like I'm going to be doing yoga up to like you know 35 weeks you know I really thought that was the kind of pregnancy I would have and so I think like for me after I had the twins I was really um, my body wasn't in a good way you know I hadn't been moving and so there was a lot more concerns about me like high blood pressure and things like that and I think a lot of it was just you know no sleep and then not you know being quite deconditioned and you know having a hard time moving and things like that so it was the girls were fine it was more just getting me back on track
2: okay Um, yeah so
1: I was very lucky to have healthy babies yeah definitely that's amazing that's fantastic and look you yourself you're a nutritionist by profession um, and now you're incorporating this you've got you've got your own services and I, I must admit it's something that we always talk about on this is putting yourself last and um, you know I'm a sucker for well when when the boys were young you know it's literally finishing off half crusts of Vegemite sandwiches and stuff like that whatever you've got on a run and and as mums we put ourselves last but then that also can flow onto our kids as well can't it in terms of what we're eating
2: yeah look I think
0: um, I think the really important thing is especially when you're a new mom especially if you're breastfeeding is eating enough um, and I think a lot of the focus is like on eating um, like unfortunately like a lot of what you say is like you have to eat you know clean foods or you have to eat this type of food or the focus needs to be eating enough especially if you're breastfeeding um, so I think like you know if you're a new mom and you have a baby and you're breastfeeding just finding the ways to get those foods you know even if it's in a packet you know I say that that is fine like it's having regular, um, regular times throughout the day where you're nourishing your body with energy. And that needs to be the focus um, first and foremost, especially if you're breastfeeding. Um, And then I suppose like when it comes to like children, you know, like like for for my girls, like it's been like quite a benefit for me, you know, because I have a structure, like a feeding structure, you know, do breakfast, morning tea, lunch. Um, I use that as a reminder that I also need to eat. So if I'm giving them morning tea, I sit down with them, um, you know, if I'm able to, and I remind myself, okay, I listen to my body. Am I hungry? Yeah, I think I am. It's it's a reminder that I need to eat something too. So um, it's kind of been a good thing for me, like having quite like quite a structure with my girls because it's been, I've used that as a reminder that I'm important and I need to eat and I can't look after my girls unless I'm nourishing my body as well.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, but, yeah, also taking then the focus off them, ha- like the meals having to be perfect or having to be, you know, perfectly balanced like it's just a matter of um like first and foremost is making sure that you're eating regularly and that you're eating enough Um, and that's Mm. um not not you know you know in the diet culture that we live in that's often not the focus it's about you know making sure you're eating the right foods all the time and that can often get in the way of making sure that you're actually um eating regularly and eating enough Mm.
2: yeah you're right just you said that um you know diet culture That is definitely um, a big pressure, isn't it?
1: Yeah, particularly when you're carrying your baby weight and stuff, there's sort of that instant feel of trying to you've got the bubs out now and I've got to get fit and healthy and lose this weight and raise these two kids and I think there's new mums that just put so much pressure on themselves to kind of go back to what they were and let's face it, our bodies rarely go back to what they were pre-pregnancy anyway, particularly from multiple pregnancies
0: yeah look i think it's it's really sad that women um feel that way and it's not it's not our fault you know we don't put this on ourselves it's what society expects you know you know we live in a society that idolizes a certain body size and a certain body shape and it basically tells us that like if you're doing all these things then you should always um be able to you know be at an an ideal um body size but really reality is that bodies change throughout life and Um, you know when you're focusing so much on um, a body size or being a certain body size can really get in the way of listening to what your body needs and what your body's telling you it wants Um, and I think yeah especially when you're a new mom like there's so many things going on Um, you're learning you know how to care for babies or you know you're busy trying to work as well you know when they get a little bit older if you're back at work or whatever it is you're you know you're juggling so many things and um, this focus on being a certain size ultimately gets in the way of finding out what is right for you and what is right for your body and what health means for you um, and in a lot of ways it can it become can become quite extreme for some people and um you know i talk a lot about diet culture um, with my clients um you know being this set of beliefs that we have to look a certain way um and you know whether that's you know if you're dieting or you're you know restricting foods or you're um cutting out you know, carbs or, or dairy or your are um, counting calories or counting macros, you're doing all these things so that you can be a certain weight and you can lose weight. Um, but a lot of those behaviours that people say, you know, think of as being healthy, um, in my profession, we actually look at those as being disordered eating behaviours, um, type of dieting that is ultimately um, potentially pushing your body to be at a weight that it doesn't want to be at, that's not healthy for you. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, so much pressure and it's it's really hard as a new mum.
1: And there's the mental side as well, particularly what concerns me is there's so many mental um, components to that thought pattern of eating um, and then that's taking away or adding extra pressure onto an already overloaded mental state when you're trying to raise multiples.
0: Yeah, yes, exactly, exactly. Um, and I don't know, like like for me, I feel lucky that I found, you know, that I found intuitive eating, um, you know, I have a master's in, in nutrition, um, but we don't, you know, they don't teach you about intuitive eating, um, you know, in, 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 at university, I had to learn this afterwards. And I'm so grateful that I learned about this. Um, like, you know, I sort of de- like delved into it around the time my girls were about one. So it was really like the perfect time because, you know, it's the sort of time where they're asking for certain foods it sort of as they get older to sort of two, they're asking for foods and they're, they're wanting certain foods. And I think like the mental health side of things to me is I would have just felt so stressed, you know, giving my two-year-old, um you know, some candy or, you know, a packet of chips or something like that. I would have felt so stressed if I was living, you know, with the uh, um, strict rules and, um you know, the mindset that I had prior to um, to learning about intuitive eating, because it would have been, oh, no, you can't have that because it's not healthy. Um, or, you know, I can't have this in the house because it's not good for me. Um, you know, all of these really stressful feelings that you can have around food, which are completely unnecessary, because um, what's most important is that we're raising our children to have healthy relationship with food, and that we're showing um, our children that we can be okay around all foods and that just because i eat a food it's not going to mean that i start saying terrible things about myself oh and i you know i've ruined my diet and oh, i'm you know i'm putting on weight and you know that really that kind of mindset really plays with your mental health um mm. and so that's why you're so yeah that's right look what are we teaching our kids you know like when we're saying oh these foods are bad or these foods are good you know um it's kind of hard to think of it like like this you know if you're telling your kid that food is bad or you know not to eat that food you're essentially in reinforcing diet culture mm. um, and dieting from a really early age and a lot of people would say oh well, I'm just teaching my kids about what's healthy and what's not healthy but it's black you know kids say things it's black right. and white either that's good or bad and you know we don't want any we don't want to be bringing up children that feel shame around wanting to eat certain foods or feel guilty for wanting to eat certain foods. Um, But as a parent, that takes a lot of work to be able to do that yourself and to be able to model that to your children and takes a lot of like unlearning what diet culture has taught us, you know, about how we need to eat and what we need to eat and what we should be doing to be healthy.
2: So I think, um, I was just thinking back you know, to how my parents, you know, it, it definitely, you, you just absorb what, mm-hmm. you, are, you know, what your parents did and things like that. Um, and it is, yeah, the way that you speak around food and everything really definitely um, creates your children's mm. thoughts yep. about it. No. Yeah.
1: Mm. And it comes. Absolutely. Look, like how many. It... Of, yep. I was going to say it can work in both ways because I remember my mum. it was really, 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 she's a doctor, really health orientated and I wasn't, wasn't allowed anything, anything with sugars or any kind of junk food, so to speak, you know, a, a treat for us was literally sun dried bananas with carob, um, you know, and, mm-hmm. and I got to a point where I, I think I was going into year six and I actually said to my mum, I said, I, I'm picked on at school. Because my lunch is like a soggy tomato sandwich and a mandarin and it wasn't mum's fault, but, that, that, but it was just an example of, of healthy eating gone to a point where I was like, I, I, don't have, I don't even know what tiny teddies are kind of thing. And I felt socially detached from my peers and uh, you know and luckily mum was like really quick to respond she's like right okay you know so we went around the supermarket and bought dare I say it but roll-ups and little snacks and stuff that were socially acceptable because it was just yeah it, it was impacting on my, my social life at school yeah especially <laughs> recess, if you're like this is a big 60s. deal
0: yeah <laughs> whereas now it's almost the opposite like you know I've heard stories of kids walking around the playground saying oh that's unhealthy you shouldn't have that in your lunchbox like as a 90s kid like everyone was eating those kind of foods Mm. and I'm I grew up the same like my parents didn't buy those kind of foods and I felt like I was the kid that would go to a friend's house and the thing I was most excited about was looking in their pantry yeah um, because they had all these amazing snacks and so that is ultimately the impact we have on children when we restrict foods it, um, you know, especially those foods that are sugary or, you know, su- you know, sweet kind of foods or like um, crisps and um, chips and biscuits and things like that, because um, it puts them up on a pedestal. It, it tells the child that this food is special. Um, and, and, you know, in a lot of cases, it's like, you need to be good to, to you need to, re- this food is a reward or you only get this food on special occasions, so cake on birthdays. Um, and so this restriction, um, it creates a drive to have more of this food. So what I find a lot of parents I work with is they say that their children feel like, it feels like their kids are out of control around sweets. Um, You know, once they, if they have any access to them, like at a birthday party, they can't stop. Like they're the kid hanging around the birthday table, birthday food table. Um, But that is ultimately um, what happens when there's a lot of restriction or or deprivation. Um, And so that's like what I do with parents is I help them to sort of understand that. that it's not the child's fault that they want these foods um they actually you know if they seem fixated on it it means they need more exposure so what your mom did was perfect like she went out and she mm. gave you exposure mm. um and she normalized those foods because they are part of life and they are everywhere
2: mm.
0: and you know you can have your kid in your house and never let them have access to those foods but as soon as they're out of your care i can guarantee you they're the ones that are going to be binging on the, the foods at the birthday party or at their friend's house exactly what I did when I had access to them Um, it's a completely normal human reaction Mm. um so yeah Yeah. it's hard because I think a lot of parents think they're doing the right thing and they're limiting them
1: so with your company Woods Nutrition Intuitive Eating Support how do you help families and and mums and stuff get through this what are the steps and what's involved
0: um so well first of all um we you know I really need to get a good idea of like what's happening in the family home so like the first thing is we really just look at environment um so like what's what's happening in the home are they you know eating meals together uh uh these foods like these sweet foods are they not allowed in the house um are they um you know what what are the parents expectations of the child like do they expect that the child has to eat their vegetables at dinner and that they have to like um you know only they only get dessert if they've eaten all their food or they've cleared their plate so we really the first step is like working on beliefs so what does the parent belief believe the child needs to do um and what does the parent believe they need to do and we really kind of in themselves for their own health we really kind of break down those belief systems and I sort of say, like, well, why, like, why do you, you know, why does your child need to finish all the food on the plate? Like, why do you feel like you um, can't have these foods in your house? Or why do you feel like you're bad when you, you know, have a cookie or two cookies? So and a lot of times a lot, like a lot of trauma there from childhood um, and what, you know, they were told they were supposed to do or the way they needed to eat. You know, a lot of the time it had to do with their, the size of their body. Um, so, you know, really working on those beliefs and where they come from um, and then trying to set up an environment that is that gives permission um, for first of all the parent to ex- like work on accepting their own body um, for what it is and um, and respecting it finding ways that they can look after themselves um, and then um, helping the parent to Um, heal that relationship with food and then bring that healed relationship with food into how they're raising their child Um, and that might mean that so you know for the for the parent it might mean that they don't have to have a perfect relationship with food to be able to raise an intuitive eater they just need to um, kind of limit you know or try and withhold those belief systems that they've grown up with and try not to input that onto the child in the feeding process
1: yeah i am so, so not feeding my kids any dried bananas oh because you don't like dried bananas because I can't stand them. and oh, carob is like my worst enemy yeah i mean who even eats exactly. carob seriously like it's disgusting i don't think i've ever had it no it's gross don't <laughs> but yes and that's right. exactly right
0: yeah it's the foods that our parents that parents want their kids to eat that ends up being the foods that the child doesn't want to eat or ends up hating as an adult so it has the opposite effect okay. really mm. Um, And I suppose when it comes to like feeding a child, um, you know, we work on things like in the environment, like the structure, like when when are they offering foods, like are they eating together, Um, just trying to get like the environment to be like a um, food and weight neutral environment. So we don't talk about foods being good or bad. We don't talk about weights or people's body sizes Um, and then helping the child once the food is on the table helping the child make the decisions about what they're gonna eat. So it's very much a responsibility based uh, practice. So um, it's called the division of responsibility. So the parent has a role and the child has a role. Um, mm. And the parent's role is, is to provide food, a variety of food, um, make it an enjoyable and a positive, pleasurable experience. Um, and then the child's role is, is to choose what foods and how much they're going to eat from what is provided. And they're two very important lines that, you know, the parent mm. needs to stay in their line. And well, and, and, and I found with you, on.
1: I was just going to, sorry, I was just going to say, um, because I've been through a long process of sensory eating, my son's autistic and um, food is a big thing for us. And it's become, unfortunately, become a real focus in our family because of, hunter's sensory problems and he's getting he's coming leaps and bounds at the moment but I remember very early on when he was limited to five or six food options um it was all about big platters with just lots of little different things just even for him to touch and feel and smell if we could or try and put one little thing on his plate that he could put back in the middle and see everybody so yeah that that big um providing lots of opportunities and then they pick and choose I really noticed that with my son with his sensory issues
0: absolutely yeah we want the child to be involved in the meal and you know a lot of time if you're plating up and you're plating this plate of food that you know for a child might seem overwhelming and it can instantly put them off even trying anything or even wanting to eat anything so it's really about like the environment let's sit down at table and make this a fun experience and enjoyable and make the child want to actually touch the food and 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 see it and feel it and Mm. you know that is what needs to happen way before they're even able to eat it Mm. Um, and and I love that idea of platters and shared meals you know we my focus is shared meals because you know that's ultimately what you want to be doing long term you don't want to be cooking a separate meal for your kid a separate meal for the adults you know you want to keep your role Mm. as the provider as simple as possible and everyone benefits from that
1: yeah yeah, no, it's really interesting, and it's amazing how we can shape um, their attitude, as you said, towards it. But I think one of the biggest things take homes is not to have that good bad food, because um, I think that's a, a really interesting. We we naturally sort of fall into it and go, oh, you know, can I have some Oreos? Oh, you can have a packet, but it's it's not good. You need to have an apple and a banana as well. And it's amazing how you're changing that psychology straight away without even realizing, because it's kind of indoctrinated into us through society, isn't it?
0: yeah exactly yeah, it's that internal dialogue that comes out um well out you know whatever your internal dialogue what you say is essentially what your child then ends up believing and saying and feeling about their own food choices so and and you know even if you're talking about healthy and unhealthy like a lot of people say to me well what's wrong with calling a food healthy and unhealthy to a child um they you know young children they don't have the ability to understand those abstract terms they see that as opposites good or bad um and we really don't you know we don't want to be teaching that child that any foods are good or bad we want them to be we want to be teaching them that all these foods are here and they're all available
2: mm-hmm.
0: um at certain times and we provide them and that it's your job as a child to listen to your body and to know then when you've had enough um what you know what fullness feels for you um you know a lot of parents say oh well i don't want my child to overeat you know the sweet sweet food you can tell your child a thousand times don't overeat that you'll feel sick they're not going to know what that feels like until they've actually overeaten and felt sick and that is the learning experience
1: yep yep absolutely oh look it's such a good resource now if people want to find out more about your your business Woods nutrition because you're online and you can provide consultation services and support for families is that how it works yes that's right
0: um so you can visit my website um woodsnutrition.com.au or i'm on instagram at woods.nutrition um and i i so i work with mums i had two parts of my business as you said earlier Um, I work with mums who want to heal their relationship with food and then um, I also work with um, families, so parents who want to help picky eaters um, or you know if they're worried the kids are fixated on things like sweets or if they just want to improve the eating experience you know have more pleasant meal times and things like that so um, I just want parents to know that you know there's nothing wrong with your child, and there are a lot of things you know that that can be done if you think you have a picky eater, or if, if meal times are stressful. So, um, you know, don't feel like it's your fault. You know, there are lots of things that that we can do to help support you through what is really challenging for most parents.
2: That's really good to know because I know for me, feeding my children, I think, was the most stressful parent part of parenting for me. Like right back to when I was breastfeeding mm. to. You know, oh my gosh, have they had enough? You know, all the way through to um, even now, mine—they're eleven. Um, yeah. You know, I just found uh, this morning my daughter didn't empty her lunchbox on Friday.
1: And oh, I had that found, too.
2: Ah. Oh, yeah, but <laughs> she hadn't eaten her lunch, which is why she hadn't emptied it. She uh... had. It, I think with the plans that she was going to empty on the weekend when I wasn't around and I was just like oh my gosh you're 11 I'm still stressing about what you are and aren't eating um I don't know does it ever end (laughs) no it's hard Look, I.
1: no no you go Kat no I was gonna say
0: I I like I'm I'm not gonna say that like meal times are like the most easy thing in the world. Like they still have their challenges. My girls still have meltdowns. Um, you know, I still put food on the table, and they say I don't want to eat that. Um, but what I teach parents is like we want to take the focus away from the food, um, and allow the child, you know, give them the opportunity to come to the table and you know be present at the table, and and sort of in a way like lower our expectations. Um, because when we lower our expectations, then we become less stressed, and kids pick up on that. Like when they pick up on we're stressed about food and we're stressed about what they're eating they, they take that on and they kind of like, you know, you know, they exhibit behaviors where they're like, you know, potentially like hiding things or, you know, not wanting to eat. So like it, it, it has, has impacts all around, but I would say that I think most parents, even if you are an intuitive eater and anything, if you're raising your kids to be intuitive eaters, like feeding is still challenging. Um, You know, that's still going to be there, but I think it's a lot less stressful for sure.
1: Oh, Kat, it's been awesome chatting to you today. Thank you so much. I know I've, um I've learned a lot and uh, going to have a different approach to the way that I think I word things. I think that's my, been my biggest take home is the way that I work things. And I really like that um, good and bad food things. But if you do want to find out more Woods Nutrition, um, Kat, it's been awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for
2: having me. It's Talking Twins and More with Nick's and Naomi. Thanks
0: to twinfo.com.au and doublebub.com.au.